Hello, everybody. And of course, hola to our fans in Argentina, who we've now got uh, on board. It's Leighton, Mike and Ben, and we've got, uh, got a great conversation for you tonight. And it's about the great Death Leopard. And uh, they are one of the great bands, but we've just been sort of reflecting today on where do they sit in the annals of rock history? Are they actually one of the greats? Because certainly... For most of us that were in, you know, uh, brought up with 80s music, you can't argue. I mean, my gateway for Def Leppard was Hysteria. Seven, seven singles off the album. I think it sold 25 million worldwide on its own. It's one of the great albums of all time, isn't it? But I'm not sure after Hysteria what I, um, where I put those guys. I don't even know if they're in my top 10 and I'm interested in what you guys think, but um, yeah, certainly, certainly one of the greats, but, but yeah. Where do you guys think they sit? Cause yeah. Where you go? 27. 27 million. 20, 27th on your list. Or 27th 27 on million? The 27th on your list. You're right. You're right. <laughs> they are, they are a great band. They're not one of my all-time faves, but I would go and see them in a heartbeat. They put on a great show. They come from great. They come from good stock. They, but yeah, it's well. Then I guess the, the the question becomes: Then doesn't it? If they're not one of the great bands, why not? Is it because what 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 more would they need to do? Do we think? I mean, they 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 did. They put out Hysteria, which remains a classic album. To this day, they've had hits from other albums as well. Obviously, not um, you know they've they've never quite hit that height again. But so that happens with with bands. Bands have have a, a, a an album that's their biggest. They're, but but you know they've had a career for you know since nineteen eighty or yeah. early late seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know forty plus years that they've been going. So what what is it that makes us go? Oh yeah, I like Def Leppard, but not that much. Why not? I wonder. I reckon if I'm, you know, I've got utmost respect for them. I mean, they are one of those bands. They are no one hit wonder. They started back. We were just talking about this earlier. They're almost like an ACDC, not wannabe, but they they, they came out with a new wave of British heavy metal with on through the 1980, they sounded almost like a bit of an ACDC-ish type band. Quite Well, they were so, they were working class, weren't they? They were this, yeah. you know, they, they were hard men, you know. Yeah. And then it just kept going up. Uh, when Mutt Lang, you know, joined the ranks as their producer for High and Dry, that all of a sudden they had Bringing on the Heartbreak, which, Bringing on the Heartbreak? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which caught some, caught America's attention. And then Pyromania took off. I mean, Photograph was evidently in 1983, apart from Michael Jackson's Beat It, it was like the most, I think it even eclipsed Beat It as being the most uh, requested MTV song in America. But is there actually a song? I mean, I think what I, I think back when I think of Def Leppard is so many awesome songs, but is there the, those two or three that just really resonate with you as sort of part of your life. And I don't know, for me, pour some sugar on me. Pour some throwaway. sugar on me. Yeah, it's a bit of a throwaway song for strippers. Uh, you know, <laughs> photograph, 
it doesn't, I mean, it's about Marilyn Monroe. I don't know if the lyrics resonate with me that much. Love Bites is an awesome ballad. Is it my favorite ballad of all time? It's one of them. It's not the one. I don't know. And then after Hysteria, Adrenalize was still a cool album. And we can talk about all of those. But I don't know. For me, there's not that one or two songs that really stick with me. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, initially when we were sort of thinking, throwing around the idea of doing a doing a Def Leppard topic, and we're all like, oh, yeah, well, obviously, because they're, they're one of the greats. And it was when we sort of started looking into it that we sort of surprised ourselves by going, you know, there's, I've got some real gaps in my, in my knowledge on these guys. There's a lot of things that I haven't delved into further. I haven't, haven't gone down the rabbit hole in the way that we have with, um, you know, other bands. And I guess that, that's right. probably, that probably sort of raised some questions for us, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, personally for me, I, I, I went all the way back with Kiss and I went all the way back with Bon Jovi and I went all the way back with many other bands. But, I mean, Ben, are you familiar with On Through the Night? Have you got any thoughts on that other than just a, you are familiar with it? I Yeah, I, it, I, I remember getting it on cassette when I was still in Sa- at Sacred Heart and I liked oh, wow. it, but it was really rough and ready. And then I remember hearing High and Dry and I've actually, I actually like High and Dry. It's, it's one of my favourites. So I go back to it more probably than anything about Mania. Because it's still, what, it's still a metal band. And I what think are the they, highlights for you on that album? Like, what are the big ones for you? On High and Dry, the title track. Um, yeah. That I, and I do love every time you see it, Switch 625. It's this the guitar. Yeah. That one, yeah, that's guitar great. Thing, and then it goes straight into... Um, the ballad, doesn't it? Um, heading for the heartbreak. Bringing on the heartbreak, yeah. Bring on the heartbreak. I think all of side one, they still they sound like a young pumping. It sounds like they they were the best of the breed of that. Remember that whole thing that came out of Britain, the new wave of heavy metal. Um, there was them, and there was Iron Maiden, and they were really the two. And then there was lots of other B level bands that weren't so good. They had um, Saxon, yeah, Saxon, but but there's also Samson, who was Bruce Dickinson, and they were all part of that new wave of British heavy metal yeah. that weren't, yeah. So I really like that album because it still had a bit of a raw edge. I like Pyromania. I think that it's great, but I appreciate those two albums. For, they're, they're quite different. I'd actually probably take Pyromania as a listen over Hysteria. It's just a little bit oh. too polished. But, of course, during that period, they lost um, Pete Willis. Game Phil Cohen, and so I mean, if you look at the the guitar players, there's no none of the original guitar players, and I guess when you combine that with Mutt Lang's influence over the years, they've become an entirely different band in some respects. Yeah, what was your gateway album, Ben? Like, was it Hysteria, or did you did like Pyromania? Yeah, surely yeah, was... it was it was Hysteria, and then everyone knows that guy at school. It's a little bit cooler or knows a little bit more than you. And so it was hysteria. Don't say his name. Don't say his name. And um, and he said, oh, well, you should check out, you know, the connoisseurs, the people that only listen to the, you know, only drink 69 vintage. So I remember it was a conversation where I quite like that album by this new band. He went, oh, no, the early stuff's much better, you know. I'm I'm 15 and a half and I'm a long-term fan and you should check out the stuff from 82, man. And he lent me a copy of um, High and Dry. 
Oh, so that there before Pyromania, you actually got high and dry first. Yeah. Interesting. And look, we talk about this a lot with, I don't want to go off topic here, but wasn't that the most amazing thing about discovering music as a teenager? Was it, it, it wasn't accessible. So it needed to be a recommendation from someone's big brother or a mate that had, had just taken a chance on an album and paid their $15. I had some you know. good stuff like this on um, Warlock, Doro. Yeah. Original band, um, Triumph and Agony, that was on one side of the tape and Theatre of Pain was on the other. But you're right. It mm. was all these, you know, or well, you'd start really late to listen to the, the metal show on BFM or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I remember, I remember I was well into sort of, I mean, they came late for me, Def Leppard. I'm going to say late, but certainly Bon Jovi, Europe, Motley Crue were introduced to me before. Um, funnily enough, Saxon and Iron Maiden and ACDC, and then someone played me Armageddon it, and I thought, something, I like this. Um, I mean, the Hysteria album, um, it's not flawless, is it? I mean, there were seven hit singles, and I, I consider Gods of War to be my actual favourite on the album. Um, but that's one of the few that wasn't a single. Wasn't a single. And then after that, what have we got? We've got Don't Shoot Shotgun, which I think is a stinker. Yep. Run and Riot. is it a, Run Run Riot's okay. Run Riot's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Love and, love and, and affection I really like. Do you? Yeah. It's all right. Yep. It's okay. And then is it just I mean, you listen to it now, it's got so much sheen to it. I mean, think think about how easy it is for people to make multi-track stuff in their bedroom with a Mac. But and but they were doing it then, and it was cutting edge stuff, and it was just layer upon layer of tracks. I think out of that album, I still come back to the title track is just it's just such a glorious, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. glorious. You're right. That, that, that's like you were saying before. Is is Love Bites? You know, one of the greatest ballads of all time. It's not even the best ballad on that album. You know, for me, yeah, true. there's um, I, I rate Hysteria is much better love, love bites it makes my teeth hurt a little bit it's got too much sweetness in it you know too much too much personal history too much attached to him to uh <laughs> yeah I, I always loved the solo on that i always thought it was a clever like they were trying yeah sure the thing the thing i love about that and the thing i feel sorry for them is they were another band that got lumped in with the 80s hair bands and they shouldn't have and and, and they deserve to be back where they are but, as an but, arena. But the thing is, the funny thing is, when that whole grunge thing took off, a couple of months later, they had a sizable slot at the Freddie Mercury tribute concert and they nailed yeah. it. So yeah. by then, the likes of Motley had sort of been put out to pasture. Def Leppard released that album and they continued to sort of, I guess, hang in there a lot longer than some of the other bands. Yeah. They did, yeah. Another, another year or 18 months out of it before they were taken down a peg or two. They they probably had a, um, their, their sort of trajectory was probably a bit more similar to a Bon Jovi than a Motley Crue. They were probably more yep. on that radio play side of things at more the height of their power. More chicks, that's more right. Chicks, more chicks in the audience. And they attempted to do with slang what Bon Jovi did do with Keep the Faith. You know, they sort of, they saw the writing on the wall. They thought, we're not going to be able to keep making, you know, adrenalise and things like that. So they they shifted their direction and it was okay, but it didn't succeed. They didn't stick the landing the way that Bon Jovi did. 
No, but it's quite funny. We were talking about that in one of the early podcasts about 1991 and the effect of grunge on these bands. Yeah, interesting, interesting enough, Adrenalized 1992, you just said yeah. that, Ben. They were in the Freddie Mercury concert. They come out with, do you want to get rocked? It was, like, the first, it was the intro of their new guitar player too. No one knew it was Vivian Campbell until then. Yeah. No. There'd been rumors, and then I mean, I knew Viv Campbell obviously from Dio, early Dio, and I was White very Snake excited. Too. And White Snake, nineteen eighty-seven lineup, and I thought, wow, what a great addition to that lineup. But they, they still got mileage out of that album. I mean, that was still very. Yeah. I was listening to it again tonight. It's very hysteria-like, isn't it? I mean, it's yep. highly polished, mutlang all over it. What do you think of Adrenalize? Where does it sit for you guys? Like, would you prefer it over Pyromania or? No, yeah, possibly not. Possibly not. It's, um, I think, I mean, hysteria for me is is the zenith for them. That's that's the one that I always come back to. Probably pyromania second, adrenalized third. The the problem with um, adrenalized, if if you think hysteria is a bit too polished, then my goodness, adrenalized is um got a couple of extra layers of wax on it and it's around that time where you know you've got Mutt Lang who um you know for all the for all the dirty 70s early 80s stuff that he used to make he was now firmly entrenched in this sort of thing and making you know Brian Adams waking up the neighbors I was going to say can we just go off on a marginal a slight tangent here because these both of these are very closely aligned to early Michael Bolton, who was considered a bit of a heavyweight of the AOR movement. Yeah. Before he become your before he became the dude with the mullet who your mum loved, he had a couple <laughs> of early albums that were far more like um the stuff that you just mentioned that was sort of mid-80s, power ballady, sort of and then he moved away from that. Brian Adams was sort of middle of the road, Bolton was your mum's favourite and people like us, it was more Def Leppard, but they were yep. sort of all of a similar school at a certain point. Yeah. There's, there's songs on Adrenalise that you could shoehorn into a Brian Adams album and be hard to tell the difference on uh, some yeah, of them. You know, it was, it, 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 and uh, you put that squarely at the at the feet of, of Mutt Lang as well. You know, he's, he found that sound now and I almost wonder if he was just sort of going in and pushing the produce album button on the desk and letting it do its do its work you know I'm sure I'm, well, that's that's pretty glib but no no but I, but I do feel like that like I feel like Hysteria they had so much still to prove they were bringing Rick Allen back after he'd lost his arm they wanted to kept, you know put themselves up there at the top of the pyramid of Touring acts in America. That's where they wanted to be. And they were always in American hysteria. I don't think they even toured. I think they did a bit of European touring, but they certainly didn't come to this part of the world on the hysteria tour, which seems crazy when you think about it, because every second kid yeah. in school had the hysteria album. Yeah, but yeah, but look at the numbers. We're we're literally when you talk population, why are you going to fight all those miles? just to get 12,000 people at one place and 6,000 at another when you can tour bus from, you know, somewhere in Ohio to the next state over and you just, it makes no sense economically. No one, no one gave a shit about this part of the world because there was nothing, if you're talking no. about your bank balance and if you're talking about jet lag and things like that, 
Um, yeah, I guess, I guess they all went to Japan, and, and the Tokyo Budokan is only 12 and a half odd thousand people. Maybe it's a bit more than that. But yeah, they didn't. And they've all come down here since many times, but that's more about trying to give their old patch a rest in America, probably. But um, I've lost my well, point. It's, what was, it's, what's it's the difference between, uh, which again, we've talked about this before, back in those days, you toured to sell albums, yep. whereas now you tour. To make money because you're charging five times as much for people to also, come and see you. Now you've got remember back in the early nineties was kind of the start of the um, the festival scene down here as we know it today. So big day outs when it's winter in the northern hemisphere, it sounds awesome to come down here, play some shows, have a bit of time off with your family, whatever. And I guess that's something that's really changed over the years. The other thing is the um, the exchange rate in global markets have made it easier and more appealing to oh, hang on, I can get away from my horrible northern winter, go surfing, have some barbecues, and make a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But look, just just after the Hysteria album, uh, you know, I was having a little look at look at it, their trajectory after that, and, of course, that's right around when grunge hit. You've got Adrenalize, which I think is an attempt to try and replicate everything that Hysteria had. And I would say, I mean, not that it's a bad album, there's some cool songs in it, but I, I think they 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 didn't come anywhere close to replicating it. It was way too overdone and it was almost like dinosaur rock at that point. Then they attempt slang. Um, now I know you are very into slang, uh, Mike. And then they kind of went in the wilderness. And I, I realized when I looked at it again, it wasn't until 1999. They had a, they had a song, uh, an album retroactive, which had some old stuff and all sorts of different things. But it wasn't until 1999 when Euphoria came out. Yeah. When I listened to that, it felt like Def Leppard evolved. It felt like they actually were coming back around that. And I think X is in 2002 to try and stake their, put a stake back in and say, no, no, we, this is us. We are Def Leppard. Just like ACDC sound like ACDC, we sound like Def Leppard. And here's, here's some great songs for you. I don't think they started getting the critical respect from the rock community until the the 2008 album. I think they were kind of, because in the late 90s, rock was a bit of a dirty word. Um, people were into smash mouth and whatever other nonsense was flavour of the month. And the early noughties were a bit of a, a lean period, but rock was starting to build its following again. Certainly bands like Maiden came out with some great stuff, but it felt like when... Def Leppard put that album out in 2008, the music community sat up a bit more and went, hang on a minute, these guys are a really good kick-ass rock band, whereas up until then it felt like for the past 15 years they've been going, oh, yeah, that hair metal band. Yeah. Forgive me for my naivety, 2008 was, is that songs from the Sparkle Lounge? Yes, yeah. Right. Well, interestingly enough, I was based in London uh, around the early 2000s, and that's when, for the first time, those sorts of bands started coming back and touring the UK again for the first time in some time. And I saw them on the 2002 tour, uh, which have been, I saw them twice, saw them at Hammersmith, and I saw them at a place called Ipswich. Fun enough, with the darkness opening for them, they were a little known band from Lowestoft, and I thought it was the biggest joke. They annoy me, that band. <laughs> No, I thought it was still Panther than the darkness. Yeah, I thought it was the biggest joke. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And the worst thing was they, they'd obviously brought a bunch of wags along with them to try and make it look like they had their own fan base in every place. And um, 
yeah, I never got the darkness. But anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Sorry, Justin Hawkins, but uh, you're I, one lucky I, son of a bitch. I like the darkness. You know. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah, quite. Why? I dig it. Um, I'd rather listen to Abba. Oh, no, I think, um, like, I haven't, I wouldn't call myself a, a massive deep dive fan or anything, but that, there's a couple of tracks on the, on the debut album which are pretty chunky that I quite like. Black Shuck. Um, yeah, it's cool. Get Your Hands Off My Woman. Those, there's a couple of them like that that I, that I quite enjoy. When they start getting a bit more saccharine, I'm not as interested. Um, yeah. But no, I don't mind them. It's a dirty little well, anyway. Band. Anyway, they they um, they were the opening group on that tour, and um, that was around the time I think uh, Def Leppard had I think the song "Now." Would that be off X? Yep. And I yes. thought I thought when I heard that I thought no, this sits quite nicely in there. And it was my first time seeing Def Leppard because all of us have got a story about Def Leppard, which I think we may have already told. But yeah, unfortunately, I was at a university halls of residence, and the night of my ball was the night of the Def Leppard Adrenalized concert. And I remember I couldn't make my way out of there because I had a girlfriend. I think Mike was chasing uh, a girl and Ben, I don't know why you, you you came as well. So you obviously had no interest in seeing them on that tour. Uh, maybe you thought there was something interesting going to happen down in Hamilton as well. And um, we all missed it. And I, I did for years lament that i'd missed that night because we ended up having a, it wasn't a great night what's that did you say dement, <laughs> dement. dement. <laughs> don't say his That's name another... don't say his a, name a guy we used to know used to go always say hey that's absolutely dement man it was like dement where the hell did that come from, that come from? no yeah. i i lamented stop trying to make it fetch happen fetch will never happen yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when I finally got to see them, and I got to see them twice on that tour, I just thought, man, this is a band that's still them and Whitesnake, funnily enough. Both of them, I saw both of them not long after each other. I thought both of them are just as relevant. They they felt timeless. They they put on a slick show. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, since then I, I've I've only ever seen them in arenas, but but there's a reason why Hammersmith Odeon, or it was called the Carling Apollo when I went to see it. There's a reason why there's a magic. Seeing a band like Def Leppard in a theatre, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when, when have you guys seen them? Well, since that infamous night in uh, 1993 when we four went there, I think we just assumed they'd be back in a year or two, you know what I mean? I thought we'd, we thought we'd get another why, chance. History growing up in New Zealand, history hadn't said to us, all the big bands come every year, so I don't no. know. <laughs> no, I don't know what, what we were thinking, but um, maybe it was the, think, the, the early precursor to, oh, I like Def Leppard, but not as much as I think I do, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, yes. I just yes. think we all, had, we all had other things on our 19-year-old yeah. minds that uh, even you know watching... Like, do you know like more than Def Leppard? No. Uh, <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> um, so I went, when, when did we go, Ben? Because that's the first and only time I've ever seen them. That was I'm going to say it was two thousand. I'm going to say it was two thousand and twelve. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. And it wasn't on the back of an album because by no. then people didn't just tour because there was no, and they opened. They had Heart open. Yes. Yeah. Heart, I saw that too. And I was so disappointed they only got forty five minutes. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I reckon two thousand and twelve. 
Yeah. So, you and know, then, a trifling 20 years later, I've managed and to... And then a little later, not long after that, we, we saw Motley over here as well. Yeah. And that's yeah, when yeah. Leighton was here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and your thoughts on the show? I mean, I've always thought they've got the slickest show out, but... Um, yeah, someone told me once, and I won't say I won't say the gentleman's name because he's in the business. But he was he said that a certain member of the band had told him, and I won't say who the member of the band was, that he was quite astounded that literally night after night, it's so it's almost choreographed like a Madonna oh, show. A member of another band? No, a member of the other. <laughs> forget it. Anyway, <laughs> there was a member that's in the band, and I won't say which one. Rick, he couldn't believe how choreographed. Let's Can call we play him, that game. Let's what's call him game Biv. Like, yeah, let's call it. You play where you have to guess who it is. Did he? Let's call him Biv Stamble. That's his name. And <laughs> Biv Stamble. When Biv Stamble joined the band, Biv Stamble met, mentioned to this gentleman who I know. He couldn't believe he'd come from a thing where it was all very rock and roll, and you just, you know, you did what you felt, and if you felt like doing this, you do it. And he started realizing uh, on that stage that it's very much a choreographed thing. And now that I've been told that I can't unsee it because I seem to see it in, in Armageddon that Rick Savage will come over to this mic. And da, 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 they join together and they, they go down. The, I, I think this is quite a widespread phenomenon. It's just that you, you've, you've zoned in on this particular band. I, I have. I have. Look, Jeez, that'd, the, the that'd only... suck the fun out of it, though, wouldn't it? A little bit? Having to... Not, not only know. play the same songs every night for 30 years, but stand in the same spot no, while you're man. doing it. If you're Phil Colin, you're ripped. Yeah. You're wandering around with no shirt on. You're walking to the front of the stage going, I just made another fifteen dollars or $20,000 this evening, and this is a bad day at the office. Hell yeah. If you come from Sheffield or he was... Um, he was Londoner. No. Those schools don't tend to forget their roots. So when you're going, oh, geez, it's another residency in Vegas. I'm so bored of this. I wish I was on the building site in the depths of winter in London. Sure you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, and this is this is the other thing about these guys as well, is that they've all got multiple side projects going on at any given time. You know, I was... Um, Have they? Yeah, yeah, I was doing you know a little, little internet you know research today. They're, they're all in sort of two or three little side bands doing different bits, and so they keep busy. You know what I mean? I, I, I know Joe. I know Joe Elliott does a lot of that stuff, but like I, Rick Savage and Rick Allen, do they do anything? I think no. I think so. Do you know what Savage does in his spare time? He's an interior designer with his wife. Is he really? They renovate properties together. There you right. go. I know Rick Allen is an artist because I know he's been doing art exhibitions. I have to bring this up, and you're just going to have to edit this out later if you see fit, but one of the funniest things I ever heard was Rick Allen being arrested in LA airport years ago for pinning his wife to the wall. Yes. It was spousal abuse. He, they, I think I don't know if he went to court over it, and I did think, hang on. It can't be that hard to get away from a dude with one arm. He's not the world's biggest guy, and he's, uh, you know. He's somehow done that with, with his one arm, yeah. yeah. Well, um, when he gets arrested, wouldn't they, they put the cuff on him, you know. Oh, yeah, how does that work? <laughs> You're definitely going to have to chop this. 
late. Sorry, I'll write. I'll write the time down for you. <laughs> Can you write your the time down, please, Mike, so I don't forget. Put your arm behind your back. Yeah, you're arrested. <laughs> No, hey, can leave I, it in there and see if you can get a nasty comment from the man himself. The well, thunder god. Yeah, they, sure. don't, we'll, uh, they don't take kindly to it, that's for sure. Um, you know, just just talking about the band, we, another thing with them, what do you guys make of them as musicians? Like, if, you, if I was to think about the, the group, I, I think of Phil Collin as being world-class, yeah. um, certainly now Viv Campbell. I reckon yeah. Steve Clark. So, for, from guitar point of view, Steve Clark had attitude. Oh yeah, but he was, uh, but he um, was sloppy. He came yeah. from the age school of things. He, he had swagger. He yeah. sure did. He was a, he was a great player though. He he wasn't uh, a technician in the way that Phil Collin and Viv um, yep. Campbell are, but he was he, he could play, man. I don't what do you guys make of the most? Yeah, no. I, I rate Phil Colin. I don't really rate Viv Campbell. Um, I, guess, I guess I know Viv from his Dio days where I did rate him. I did rate his solos, but I feel like yeah. he must be in certain parameters in Def Leppard that he, when you say he plays it, for that band. When you think about Holy Diver, he had a gritty, a very early 80s, sort of gritty, bitey sound to it. That, And he was quite the riff man. But I guess yeah. you're right. Within the parameters of Death Leopard. I reckon he's just said to do I reckon Viv Campbell, it's it's he signed up in nineteen ninety two and said, So how much is it a year? Um, yeah, no problem, eight hundred thousand a year, that's fine. Uh I, I'm up for that. What do you want me to play? I can do production because when you hear him on on Dio's Sacred Heart or um what's the one before that? Uh Dream you used to have it, Ben, Dream Evil? Dream Evil wasn't him. He had left by then, and that other okay, dude, Craig Goldie Craig Gold- had taken. Yeah. Craig Goldie. So he he did another one though. What was it? Last in line. Yes. Yes. Right. Because so that's a side project now, isn't it? Uh, I was that's right. Yeah. yeah. But um, then he was a bit of a bandwagon jumper because for years Viv Campbell was very disparaging of Dio, and they didn't mm. like each other. And then once Dio pops his clogs. Viv pops up in a tribute band and he's sort of singing his praises. All right. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but no, I, look, I don't think, um, I mean, I've always loved Rick Savage. I don't know what Rick Savage's voice itself sounds like. He's always done the BVs there. I have, have any of you ever heard Rick Savage sing himself? Like, do you actually know what his voice is like? No. Yeah. No. I mean, there's, there's enough going on in the backing vocals on that that he'd have to be all right because you know they they all sing pretty you you would think they would all sing pretty well to be able to put that sound no, the, together no but the great well so, some people are just great harmonizers though mike i mean the great yeah, sure. with van halen always sang bvs with van halen and, and then when we heard him sing how many say i it reinforced what a great vocalist he was true true what, absolutely you know, <laughs> I don't, I'll tell you what, when, I, when I, I listened to that Van Halen live at Tokyo, I go, man, those background vocals sound so good, the combination of Wolf and Ed, but it was mainly because the lead vocals were so bad. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, is a, there is a little known Def Leppard song. It's, it's written by um, Rick Savage. It's on songs from the Sparkle Lounge called Love, and it's a complete Queen it's not a parody, 
it's a complete queen homage. Me, but homage. Yeah. Massive stacked layered harmonies and but again, um Queen's a good example. Brian May, he's not a bad singer. In fact, he's the perfect fit between Roger Taylor's really high voice and Freddie's. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. when you listen to Brian by himself, you go, he's not a strong singer. No, but, no. But, a bit thin and wobbly and yeah. Yeah, but then you need something in the middle to sort of well, I, I reckon that was the, I reckon that would be the case because whenever I've heard Phil Collins sing, and I think Phil Collins rates that he's got a, a good voice, and he has got a good voice, but just not a great lead voice, um, yep. in my opinion, anyway. And I'd say Rick's probably the same. And, and Joe Elliott is a, is interesting for me because um, I don't put him as one of the great singers of all time. I always find when I've watched him live. He seems to get the notes, and I have no idea how he's doing it because I have a funny feeling he's a bit like Brian Johnson of ACDC. I think he's actually singing very quietly to get the notes or something. Um, I don't know enough about the guy's technique, but what do you guys make of Joe? I mean, he's I, a great great frontman. But I yeah. was um, – when we saw them, I was pleasantly surprised with how his voice had weathered, because I, I I don't necessarily know that he does think super quiet. I think he's got a fair bit of hoik in there when he gets to the that top end. I think what he does vocally, he's sort of, um, I don't know that his natural voice has a lot of immense range to it in the way that you would traditionally think of a, a singer. I think he's sort of clocked a little bit of what Axel does in that he's got that sort of, Falsetto powerful falsetto that falsetto. doesn't sound like falsetto. So yeah, he, can, not, he can he just flicks a switch and goes up to the next part where he's doing that um doing that voice without putting a huge amount of strain on him, whereas someone like a Sebastian Bach doesn't do that. He just keeps going in his full head voice until his eyes pop out of his skull. I don't think Joe does that. I think he's got a bit more technique, he's a bit cleverer behind. Being able to switch it up, yeah. but not, but not sound like he's singing in falsetto. He's got, he's got a grungy falsetto. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not Gary Sharon singing more than words, is it? You know, like he's no. actually singing. When I heard it, I thought this is not a chest voice. This is what you're singing here, but it's so backed up with reverb, and I mean, the reverb was waffling around the arena, and I don't know. Um, but I'd, I'd rate him purely for longevity. The yeah, fact that he's, he's still got it. His range has um, dropped a little bit, but you're right. It's not like you're listening to him going, oh, geez, you Yeah. No, um, and when you listen to that early stuff, he's a prime candidate for someone whose voice should have popped out 10 years ago, and it hasn't. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I would agree. Look, he's not, a, he's not a technical singer in the way that Mr. Coverdale was. Uh, yeah. You know, the Glenn Hughes is you know um holy i saw hughes a couple of years ago and you're just shaking your head going why how yeah, and then yeah. i listen to coverdale and i think he's still got a really nice lower register and i just think he could make the most of it by using it stop trying to pretend that it's 1987 it's not um mm. anyway no, so, 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 so joe so joe, joe's kept it pretty well you know like yeah. i'd say he's not too dissimilar to when we saw joey tempest being with europe i thought joey's kept his voice yes really well um you know a lot of those guys i mean we talked about john bon jovi a few weeks back he's lost so much of his range joe's not like that joe, joe still no. gives those songs watsy you know like yeah. he still yeah, delivers them um 
No, I rate him. I do. Yeah. He's not um, – I mean, he, he's the other thing he's got going for him, it's a distinctive voice. Like when he's singing, you know it's Joe Elliott. Yep. And there's a lot of singers out there that don't have that, you know, and the ones that do, there's, there's – Particularly now. I mean, we're, 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 we're clearly old people because we're just talking about the past. Yeah. We do tend to turn on the radio. It's hard to tell one person from the other. Whereas you listen to him and you go, well, clearly there's a massive difference between you and Axel and Coverdale and Vince. And whereas you listen now and you go, well, you all sound like a bunch of auto-tuned kids to me. That's yeah, it could have been, the, yeah, it could, could have been anyone on X Factor. There's any or, one of those yes, amount of dudes yes, or they're interchangeable. Yeah. Words. All of those guys, Joe included, they're, they're very much, they've got their own footprint, their own personality that they bring across them. Right. Yeah, get off no, my no, lawn, I, you crazy kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I've never met them, Ben. You met them? Did they? Did they give you the time of day? Like, what was the experience like? Um, because I've always thought Joe Elliott would be a fun guy to hang with. Like, I, <laughs> I yeah. thought the same, and it was um, um, there was VIP tickets available for Journey and Def Leppard, and I knew that, um. Alice liked Arnell, and I went, well, Arnell, as cool as he might be, he's a ringing YouTube substitute for the real guy, and I still think Steve Perry's got a far more soulful voice than Arnell. Yeah. Arnell's got the range, but he doesn't have the, like, you listen to Steve Perry, and I just think he's, it's one of the be- most beautiful voices ever. But yep. I thought about the meet and greet, and I went, actually, you know what? Journey were busy suing each other in the press at the time and trading barbs, and I just went... <laughs> I think it's going to be a whole lot more pleasant to hang out with Def Leppard because of who they are and what little I knew about them and where they came from. And so we we got a meet and greet with them. And I have to say, they, you know, it's a production line, literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Every one of them shook your hand. When I got up that morning, I put on this obscure David Bowie shirt that didn't have his name on it because Joe Elliott's massive fan of early 70s glam rock. He is. Yeah. Black Star t shirt. And I walked in, and the first thing Joe Elliott said was, Nice shirt, man. Oh. It was kind of when I put it on, I thought, "Uh, I reckon he'll know what the shirt is. But they were all pleasant guys. They were were standing there doing their job, but you could see they realized that a lot of people had paid a lot of money for this, and it was a big deal. And they were pleasant. They were affable. they They were friendly. They were, and you came away from it all. You know, it was probably they let you take that. Their photographer took a bunch of photos. You came away and went, that was pretty cool. Whereas I've had a few meet and greets. I can't think of exactly who right now. Where I've gone, man, why did I bother? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so well, I, I remember you, thinking you, that um, when Motley on one of their most recent tours were doing VIPs and Tommy Lee just went, I'm not doing yeah. that. I'm yep. not coming. And you go, man. <laughs> so you, you go to the Motley Crew meet and greet. Mick Mars isn't there because he's too sick. Tommy can't be bothered, and so you've got Vince, Vince is just stuffing his face with tacos. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I was, it, it was everything I hoped it would be. It was a really nice setting, and they were pleasant guys. And um, and yeah, it was it was good. So, so did you get because I. I ran some of those with Europe, and interesting enough, John Norum refused to do any of them. Um, uh, but we'd only advertised that 
that at any time, in case someone didn't want to do it or someone was ill or, you know, because it's quite exhausting for them. I know it seems like you've paid your 250 bucks and you should get your pound of flesh off them. But yeah, uh, over a day, that's actually, a, it's a really, um, I know it seems really ridiculous to say, but it is a quite a demanding park. It's a real chunk of time when dad <laughs> probably prefer to be sitting just gearing up for the big show that night. Um, but I know when I watched them do it, it, it was about, um, I was told by Europe's manager, it was a case of making it feel uh, that everyone got their moment. Yeah. You get your photo, but it wasn't something where, because often in those sorts of situations, there's always somebody that's going to um, demand all the attention like were you were you lined up, Ben? Like, did you get your moment with Def Leppard, or were you all yeah. just like one bunch? No, we were we we got our moment with them, and you had to wait to be let through. But it was also made to feel quite casual. It wasn't rigid, so you had to wait your turn, and they let you through. And then, um, so how long would you have got with them? Oh, look, it was probably only a minute, but it felt yeah, like yeah. a couple of minutes. Hey, man, how you doing? Shake hands. Yeah, yeah. Get some photos. Oh, I'll take another couple. Um, but I, I guess, you know, them and their team around them were masters of making you feel that it was much more than what it really was. No, no, but yeah. that's all it is. Like, it's a, if you think of it, the one thing I loved about that is it, it comes a time in your life that, you know, you can pay the money and for that moment, the interaction, as contrived as it might be, is everyone knows what they're getting. The fan, all the fan wants is an autograph, a bit of swag maybe, and a photo and a chance to finally press the flesh. Because I don't know about you guys, but we've all tried to encounter quote-unquote rock stars in airports and try and get an autograph off the cuff. It's uncomfortable as fuck. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Remember, being you, you told me that time about Glenn Hughes. You paid for a, a mint group, Glenn Hughes. You saw him the next morning in the Virgin Lounge, and you just thought, I can't go and bug bug him i can't bug him you know what i mean I've, I've actually run into him it's funny a few times over the years because we saw him that was when the kings of chaos were on that bill with van halen and um aerosmith in sydney and then i he was in the virgin lounge sitting next to me and i was like should i okay so when i got chatting to him and he said hey i said what are you doing in melbourne he said oh i've got a solo show no kings of chaos it's the full glen you should come along and i said okay i will and he said, well, are you coming to my book reading as well? I'm doing this book reading at a, a bookstore in um, Ligon Street. So I end up going to both. And um, and then a couple of years ago when he came and did the Glenn Hughes Does Deep Purple, I got a VIP with him then as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just feels, I mean, I, I'm conscious of people's downtime and, and not, but it's just, and, and particularly as you get older and if you travel as well, and if you do anything where you have to talk to a group of people a lot, you kind of appreciate it a bit. There's nothing yeah. worse than you've had to give a speech or whatever you've done at something, a gala dinner. You're like, right, I'm just going to go to the bar and have a quiet scotch. And then someone comes up and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you kind it's... of you, you respect people's space. And that's what I love about the pay, paying for that because... Um, I know, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I know my brother tried to meet Sebastian Bach and he had the album and, and 
Sebastian kind of went off on him a little bit and said, Mag, would you really? just hold the damn thing? You know, like it was just because you've got the guy when he's, I think he was on his way into the stage door of the forum yep. in Melbourne. And it's just, I don't know. Um, I quite like the idea anyway. And um, I, I've only ever done it once. Funny, I didn't pay for it, but I, I had it with uh, Kenny Rogers, weirdly enough. And um, I was invited along, but I got to see it being done quite nicely. And I'm, I'm with you, Ben. There's a way of doing it so that you feel like you got your money's worth. But at the end of the day, once you've had your autograph, you've had a photo, you've shook everybody's hand and you've told them how much of a big fan you are. There's not a lot more. You're never going to get, you're not in there in a season. There's lots of people out there who are particularly well-traveled who who don't really have the means and they think of these guys as demigods and they put them up here. And I think, you know, I'm making some assumptions here, but we've kind of all been around long enough and you just go, you know what? He's a dude who's tired. He's done, had a long day. He's doing his job. Yes, it's a nice job he's got, but just have a little bit of respect for this space, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's just get back into the Def Leppard thing. I just want to, I want to run to the 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 finish line a little to bit. The hills, of, yeah, I want to run to the finish line of later era, the recordings of the later era of Def Leppard. Are there any? songs albums that that you guys feel deserve are worthy of a deserved mention um i mean you mentioned a little while ago ben about the songs from the sparkle lounge i mean yeah mike ben is there something you want to talk about sort of in the later years um one one of the things that they have done quite well um is while the, the albums that they've put out through the 2000s might not necessarily have been you know, hysteria or pyromania or even adrenalized standard. They've always had at least one or two good radio play songs on there just to give it enough, just to keep the wheels turning. You know what I mean? So every one of those albums has had something on it. There was, um, what was it Long Way to Go, Now. Uh, Paper, Paper Sun, I loved Euphoria. Really cool yep. song. Yeah. So the, the, while they're not classic albums in their entirety, they've done enough to keep it moving along. You know what I mean? So, um, Undefeated's a cool song on the live album from about a decade ago. Yeah. Big, yeah. crunchy hooks, big, grunchy, grunty guitar. Yep. Typical Def Leppard sort of. What, what album's that off, Ben? Uh, the album's called Mirrorball, and there's three or four. Um, New tracks on it. on it, yeah. Oh, so it was actually a recorded track, not a live track, but on a live album. Yeah, yep. that's it. Right. Okay. Undefeated, I don't know undefeated kings of the world, and it's all about believing. Don't know any of those, yeah. Which, according to Spotify, it's all about believing is the one that uh, had the most listens. But there you go. I'm with you, Ben. Yeah. I think Undefeated's a good track. It was one of those songs that had it been 20 years earlier, it would have been much bigger than it was. And it was, uh, it's, you could say it was a box ticking exercise, but it's a catchy tune. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you think of their cover album? Yeah. It's was there anything, anything on like there that. I like the T-Rex cover. I was just saying, I quite like their Thin Lizzy. I mean, like you're saying, they're always into that British glam and that, but I, I did like their version of Don't Believe a Word, their Thin Lizzy one. I just had to listen to that. 
but I like that song. So they did a they did a faithful so, version. So you know, Joe's got a place in Dublin, and Brian Johnson's got this show called Life on the Road. He actually interviews. Yeah, I've seen it. Have you seen it? It's good. No, oh, I haven't seen that one. I saw Brian Johnson interviewing Mark Knopfler, but has he interviewed Joe? Is he over in Dublin? Yeah. 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 Oh. Um, and anything but, anything interesting come of that? Oh, it was all right. It was just Joe in Dublin, and funnily enough, they went to a pub and had a beer and. But he's he's one of those rock and roll guys. He's a you know he's like the the guy that does the archives, and he's he's the nerd amongst them who knows all his rock and roll history. And he's he's kind of an interesting guy just to listen to. Yeah, yeah. He's um, a hoarder, apparently, Joe. He's got like everything that they've ever done. He'll have he'll have the poster or the t-shirt or everything. He's got it all squirreled away. Yeah, yeah. I I always loved, and they didn't do it on year, but I always loved. My gateway, funnily enough, to early Bowie was Def Leppard uh, doing a version of Ziggy Stardust. And I don't know why they did it. Was that on an album or a video? It was acoustic. It was acoustic. Yeah, they yeah. did it when they released their best of album in the mid-90s. And they did, I think they did uh, three shows on three continents in 24 hours. And yes, it was just, right. they just chucked, and it's on a video called. Oh, was it Vault? Was the. Yes, Vault was the tour. Yeah. 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 The and I just love that um, version. Yeah. Yeah, they did uh When Love and Hate Collide was the big single from Vault, which was possibly one of their biggest hits, but it came off. Also from Layton's Wedding, off. isn't it? No, I did oh, no. uh two two sets behind. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So that was off retro Vault. No, it was retroactive, had two has it like three versions of Two steps behind that, and the, another one called "Miss You in a Heartbeat" that they did like three versions of. They had like a piano version, an acoustic version, and an electric version of the same track. It's, it's, it's funny, Ben. I, I was just having a look tonight um, on one of those early mixed tapes I was given uh, by someone's older brother. They there was a version of "I Want to Be a Hero," yeah. and I noticed it's on retroactive. And I have to say that is one of the great Def Leppard tunes that I don't think got a fair hearing at back it in the day b-side of hysteria wasn't it originally i think uh yeah it must have been yeah. or you, you it might had a real that. had a real pyromania sound to it that one it yeah i thought i as... thought it was earlier i thought it was earlier actually ben but someone needs to pre-check that um but it was um i look but yeah that's a, that's a great that's their edge of a broken heart really isn't it that one Absolutely. And I, I want to say it was like one of those songs that should have been on one of those albums and would have sat quite nicely on it, I would have thought, you know. Um, I would have been interested in as to why it why it missed the cut. Um I can find here, sir. Yeah, the... it's on the it's there's a revised version on the super deluxe edition of Hysteria. There you go. So, so it's from the Hysteria recording guys. sessions. Let me see what. Wikipedia has to say on the subject. Not very little, apparently. Yeah. Um, but that's probably the deep cut of mine for Def Leppard that I, I look back on and think um, should have probably gone a bit further than it did. Uh, yeah. I think the the thing with them was that they, they did, they came from this sort of, you know, late 70s, early 80s, working class rock revolution um became polished had this massive success with hysteria 
And from there, they've kind of kept it a bit pop rock, I think. Probably played it a little bit safe, maybe. Um, maybe did sort of, you know, they did get hooked up in their side projects a little bit. And um, I don't know. I don't know. But it just, I think, I think they had an experiment with slang and it didn't work a little bit. And so they've... Lost their confidence, maybe, in experimenting too far. I don't know if it's lost their confidence. I think if it's it's maybe just a little bit of stay in the lane a bit. I don't know. I don't know. It just it's it feels like everything from there has been. Um, I reckon. I reckon you could put Euphoria X and some of these other albums together and press shuffle and you wouldn't be able to pick which one came from which album. You know what I mean? They're all a bit the same from that point on. And, again, it's it's got that that almost not – I don't even think Mott Lang produced any of those. No, I don't it's, think it's got, it's got that sort of that Brian Adams-y feel in there, you know. It's a bit so MLR. It's funny because I like Def Leppard and I, I really yeah. actually have quite an aversion to Brian Adams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, weird, weird. Look, I, and, and also I, I always think of, I, I always do wonder how money might have affected people because I was surprised to find out that really during the hysteria recording sessions, despite all the success they'd had with Pyromania, it was getting desperate. They they yeah. needed to pull one, pull a rabbit out of the yep. hat with that album and from look, I could have my facts a little bit wrong here, but they started, I think, in the Netherlands at a recording studio. They then scrapped it. They started again Jim somewhere Steinman, else. Right? Jim Steinman was the original producer. You're right, Ben. Jim Steinman was the original producer, and it just didn't work. Yeah. And um, they were they were down the cosh, even with all that. I mean, that's how bad those deals with the record labels were they, back in the day. They had from a terrible success. Deal. Yeah. All the success of Pyromania, and they hadn't properly hysteria's recording sessions. Albeit, we all know that that recording session lasted how long? Was it like a two year? How long were they even in the studio? Because I know Rick Allen lost his arm somewhere in that yeah, process. I think he lost his arm on New Year's Eve. I would say New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty four. And that so, is just it. by the I time he right. recovered, I don't know if they started from scratch or if they had done a few scratch tracks in the studio waiting for him or but it was it was basically two years and of course yeah. studio time back then was massive money and he was trying to learn to relearn to play the kit and sex steinman i don't know if that was before or after rick allen lost his arm the thing i love about them though and we talked about this with bon jovi a few weeks back like how loyal is that band? You know, yeah. like they've they've always stuck by their guys and they've come back. I mean, they've had the worst luck, really, you know, and they've somehow just kept a smile on their face and doing it. I mean, to lose your guitar player to drugs and alcohol overdose, which I was amazed to think it was it was 30 years ago, you guys, when Steve Clark died and he yeah. died. Yeah, I mean, not long after Freddie Mercury, I think, or it was... Um, it was before, because Viv Campbell was, was playing at the Freddie Mercury tribute. Mm. True, true. Um, but I don't, think they, I don't think they dropped the ball for long. I mean, so when that, that tribute was in 92, wasn't it? So 
you know, I, within the year. I think yeah. they've been doing some demos, but they've been sending him to rehab for a while. And I think they've kind of been doing what a lot of bands do when you get off a massive tour. You faff around a bit, you write some songs, you do some demos, but you kind of, I think they may have been waiting for Steve Clark to sort himself out to properly hit the studio. And then, because pretty much all of, all of the guitar on that album's Phil, right? There's no Steve Oh, yeah. Clark. It's not Viv Campbell either. He, he no. just came in and started performing with them. Yep, they were a four-piece for that album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why aren't they? I mean, after all this discussion, you guys, why are they not? Can you put well, your just, finger on what it, just what it to, is? Just to jump back a little bit there, I mean, we've talked about uh, Joe and Phil and all these guys. Rick Allen, he's a guy that's basically learned to play the same instrument twice. You know, it's... That's that's an accomplishment, and he's and he's not shabby. You know what I mean? It's. I think he does an admirable job. Yeah. I mean, is it a is it a great job? I mean, you know, we we all appreciate what the situation is with Rick, but um, yeah, was he? I mean, d- would you have rated him in say Pyromania, Ben? Like as a as a. I mean, he was always a good drummer, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he was, it wasn't like he, he was a lot better than Phil Rudd, but he wasn't John Bonham. Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just think the idea that, um, you know, a, a drummer could lose an arm and then and then come up with an entirely new way of playing their instrument, you know, and, and you know, then over the years he's, because obviously they did a lot of that with electronic drums and, and triggers and samples and that sort of thing. And now he's sort of transitioned back into playing an acoustic hybrid kit a little bit. I, you know, I think um, credit where it's due. That's There's a lot of people that wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to hit that, yep. you know? You're right. You're yeah. But no, k- kudos to the band for, for keeping the faith and kudos for Rick for, for not giving up, you know? I mean, God, that was for a drummer. Could it, you can't think of much worse to happen. And in no. this, his, what were chance he lost? He's lost his left, hasn't he? Because he, he's still got his hi hat, hi hat, yeah, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about Def Leppard other than, um, why, why don't we love them more? They've got all the, all the ingredients, they've done all the right things. We should, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd put them in my top 10, I reckon, but probably. Down the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Second half. Yeah. Oh, look, I think they, yeah. I mean, it'd certainly make my top 20. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> um, oh, maybe they would. I mean, certainly at the time, I, I, I think they deserve where they sit. Uh, you know, I mean, it's think of the stadium tour. It's them and Motley Crue. Yeah, they deserve to be there. They deserve to be above Poison. They sure. never quite got, apart from doing that stadium, Don Valley Stadium in Sheffield on the Adrenalized tour. They never jumped up into Wembley Stadium type status. Like they were a, always dismissed in the UK as being right quite early on. They were dismissed as being sellouts because they wanted to conquer America. Yeah, and yeah. you know, at the time. The UK was more 
they were more excited by the likes of Morrissey, which I still find difficult to fathom. But anyway, that's a, that's another conversation altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they look. Arguably, America's always been their bread and butter. Um, oh, look. I just put it down to the fact I just don't think there's enough songs that really resonate with me. I think that's all it is. I, I enjoy their show. I call it a good night out. Um, even when I saw them the first time, I didn't get those goosebumps. Didn't feel like I was living on the edge like you do often with an Axl Rose or um, a Steven Tyler. You just feel like you, you could be getting something quite unique that night. Def Leppard don't quite give that to me. But a great band. Slick band. Slick, yeah, absolutely. So if Joe was to ask the question, are you getting it? Really getting it? Your answer is, eh. I'm a kind of getting it. Kind yeah. of, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'll write, I'll write that one down as well. Leighton took a big drink at 842. <laughs> <laughs> big I don't drink. Got it. I'll, I'll do my ending here, and I think it's probably, I don't think there's anything more I can say about it. Um, Maybe you should finish it off, Mike. You're the, you, you've got them in their top ten. Oh, look, no, I, I think um, I'm genuinely surprised that we don't have more affection for them. It's, it, again, it's it's um, for me they probably are top ten, but it's when when I look into the whole discography that's based around a relatively short period of time and what's a four year career. Here's a theory. Perhaps they're just too workmanlike. They're solid, they're sturdy, they're steady. We know that there's some quality there, but they're a bit too workmanlike. Whereas you just mentioned it like Stephen Tyler walks on stage and you go, wow, the guy could be singing you some second rate knockoff and he'd still be blowing you away just because of the charisma. And I think perhaps they're a little bit too workmanlike and not, not charismatic enough. And maybe that diminishes it somewhat. Because I don't think it's a lack of talent or a lack of work ethic or anything. No. No. You never come home from a Def Leppard show disappointed. No. But but um, I think for me, I I like to take, I guess, at my in my vintage, I like to take the risk of probably seeing something that is literally going to move me. Or um, I mean, I just use the example of Axel and Stephen are the, a great, Stephen Tyler are great examples of that, that you just feel like you're getting something that's just on the edge. You don't know which way it could go, and I, I, I'm i attracted to that. But um, great band nonetheless. And, uh, you know, if any of you fans in Canada or Argentina have anything else to say about Def Leppard, make sure you write it down the bottom and hit the bell and subscribe, and uh, we'll sign off on that. <laughs> Down our bare street, the people hide in fear in the land of the angels. They fight in the streets, movie stars and palm trees. M16 awaits you. A man called.